you love him this morning? At the end of the day, your, your performance doesn't matter. Your good works really, you know, they're just a testimony of where your heart's at. They don't earn us anything else beyond that. They're a reflection. They're a mirror. They're not the, they're not the mission. They're not the accomplishment. They're the, they're the thing that is evidence of something that's already happened in your heart. You know, a lot of times in religious circles, we, we trust in our works to try and do what only Jesus could do. Jesus paid the price. And thinking we can be good enough to make it to heaven is just an insult to his grace. It's kind of like somebody giving you a, a new car, giving you, say, I want to bless you with this, and then you offering to pay for it, trying to set up a payment plan or, or somehow earn what was given to you freely. Imagine at Christmas time, you know, if you, you're, you know, friend buys you a gift, or you buy your kids gifts, and then they say, okay, daddy, what do I have to do this week to work for this? It's nonsense. And our salvation's exactly the same. It was purchased by Christ. We don't earn it. And the good that we do, we do because we've been purchased. Do you understand what I'm saying? Good works is a fruit of what's happened in my heart already. My heart is not changed by my good works. I do good works because my heart's been changed. Amen? Are you hearing me this morning? It's not that good work isn't important. It is. You know, James said, you know, you show me your, your love by what you say. I'll show you mine by what I do. Right? He was onto something there. If the heart's been transformed, good things will come out of it. Amen? And that's what we're going to talk about today. And I'm glad I got the microphone when I did, because if Barry got back up here, he'd preach my whole message and then be like, I, I pretty much turned my mic on when I was in the sound booth and said, Barry, would you sit down and be quiet? Because if you keep going, you're going you're gonna to do my whole message this morning. And that, that you know, that would just be so disappointing. Uh, you know, especially when this is the last kick at the can uh, with some people here uh, until 20th of May or something like that, you know. Uh, I think the 23rd is the Sunday after that. So if they actually open back up for the long weekend, we will be here. Someone said to me, you know, Pastor, how come, you know, you, you, you work with this. You're, you're always open when to the maximum you're allowed to be open. And that's like, amen, I will be. If it's allowed, I'll do it. Someone say amen. I mean, we're going to, we will always, all, you can count on one thing. We will always be open whatever degree in the middle of this pandemic and restrictions that we're able to be open. We will do it. You can count on that. Uh, I promise you that. That's my pledge. Um, however, we feel that we need to still follow along with the guidelines, whether you personally agree with them or not, because it's the way you build community equity. It's the way you demonstrate kindness to those around you. It's the way you actually uh, demonstrate the love of God to the people that you care about the people that you meet when you're walking down the street, right? As we learned in Sesame Street when we were a kid. This is how we do it. And so we want to do, be available for them as to the maximum we can be available, but we want to demonstrate kindness at every opportunity that we get. Amen? Well, you guys were awesome this morning. And Rebecca, I'm glad I got back there to crank your mic up because uh, isn't that just beautiful to listen to them today? Come on, guys. Put, you can clap better now. Yeah, come on. Praise the Lord. Thank you so much, team, for your ministry this morning. Uh, awesome. 
Uh, and would you just be able to take this uh, mic down, Isaac, when you when you go, so that the camera, if they're using that one, isn't in the way. Uh, we're so glad that you're here today, and uh, we have a sold-out capacity of 15% here. Uh, so congratulate yourselves on that this morning. Amen. Amen. And uh, I'm talking about righteousness. It's one of our values here at Desert Stream, and you might think that's an odd value. It's such a religious-sounding word. Uh, you know, back when I was a teenager in, like, you know, the 70s, we used to say, that's righteous, man. You know, uh, that was a... That was a way of saying something was cool or good. But other than that, I don't think the word has had much common usage uh, in everyday language very much. And so you might think that's kind of an odd value for us to have. But, but you know, it's one of those words that is so significant when we understand what it means. And I want to read you what our key verse is for this month. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. And this is what it says. It says, for he, speaking of God, made him, speaking of Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He made him who knew no sin to be sin, to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In other words, he took the sin of the world and put it on Jesus so that you and I could become righteous. And our value statement for this month, we've had these value statements that uh, we've been putting out, is it's better to be righteous than right. And that's this morning's message title as well. It's better to be righteous than right. Now, every time you look in the mirror this month, all right, what I want you to do, uh, and Derek, I'm getting a bit of hum on this, or ring on this microphone, if you could, uh, maybe something else on the platform's on, picking it up. Every time you look in the mirror this month, remind yourself that you're the righteousness of God. All right, so I want you to look in the mirror. Just look in the mirror every day and just say, you're good. Just look in the mirror and say, you're good. Amen? Why? Not because, you know, you did anything special this week, but you've been made good by Jesus Christ. Amen? I want to read you a quote from Mark last week that just shows uh, that he's been listening to us for, you know, a good six, seven years here now since he's been here. But He preached an excellent message last week, and he said this. He said, righteousness. He said, I couldn't earn it on my best day, and I couldn't lose it on my worst day. I couldn't earn it on my best day. You can't. You know, the Bible says that your your good works, uh, your righteousness that you try to work on yourself before God is like filthy rags. It smells. It's stinky. It's gross. It's like filthy rags. So on your best day, you couldn't earn it. But guess what? On your worst day, you can't lose it either. On your worst day, what's been purchased by Jesus Christ for you, on your behalf, that you didn't work for and you didn't labor for, is yours because of him, and it's still yours even when you've had a bad day. Even on your worst day, it's still yours. But, but, but pastor, you know, you know, if that's true, won't people take advantage of that? Yes, they will. And Paul knew that in Scripture. He, he, he could read people's minds. It was like he said, he said, does that mean that we should continue to sin so more grace can be released to people? And Paul said, no, far be it from us. We, we, we died to sin in Christ. But, but the point was he anticipated the argument because he knew that the message of the gospel, that the work of my salvation was 100%. Everybody say 100%. 100% the work of Christ would get abused. 
And it would. And if it's not open to abuse, if it's not a vulnerable message on God's behalf, it's not really grace. As soon as you attach human effort to it, it's no longer grace. As soon as you attach your work to it, well, I'm, God loves me because I did this, this, and this. It's no longer grace. It's no longer the gospel. Am I making any sense to anybody here today? And I want to help you understand that this morning because I want to clear up some understanding about the word righteousness. Because when we hear the word righteousness, you know, when we think about that in common language today, if you even look it up in the dictionary, do you know what it says? It says morally right, good, or virtuous. And it sounds like righteousness is a state that we're in because of the good way that we live, right? And, and, and that's what's portrayed to us. If you were to communicate to other people, wow, that's a really righteous person, you would, you would mean by that, or people would assume by that, that you mean they're a very morally good, virtuous, holy, upright person. But you know, the origins of the word righteous are very different than that. The word appears in the Bible like righteous or righteousness, appears in the Bible over 500 times. It's an important word. But did you know that, that its meaning is very different than what you're going to find today in a dictionary? It's very different. If you look in the Old English, the Old English, this, the word righteous comes from the Old English word ritwis. And it's a combination of two words, rit, which means right, and wis, which means manner or state or condition. And so in other words, the, the word righteous in Old English meant something that was in the correct state or condition. And it didn't really have anything to do with morality. It had to do with the wholeness, as in the, a whole number, being integral, integrous. You understand what I'm saying this morning? And then you, if you look a little deeper, and you dig into the, to the Greek language, right, you'll find that maybe the Old English were onto something. Because when you dig into the Greek language and how the word is used in, in the New Testament, the word righteousness is the word, as Barry mentioned earlier, stealing a little bit of my thunder, but not much, but uh, stealing a little bit, is dikeo. This is the word for righteousness or righteous in Greek. And its root is the word dike. And dike was one of the names of one of the, the, uh, the Roman goddesses. And she was the, the daughter of the Titan Themis and the god Zeus. And her job her job was to exercise a type of justice uh, over humanity. And her job was to make sure that humanity, everybody in humanity, operated according to their station. That's who DK was. And her job was to make sure that if, if you were, were born and you were created to be a carpenter, you were a carpenter. If you were born to be a soldier, you were a soldier. If you were born into royalty, you were royalty. That every person walked in their station and in their gifting and in their calling and stayed aligned to that through their, their, through their life. The word had absolutely no moral equivalency to it at all. So now you take the application of that word and you apply it into the gospel context, into the New Testament gospel context. And this changes everything. This changes everything. It shows us that like the old English understanding, when we're righteous, it has more to do with our standing, uh, behaving in accordance to our calling than it has to do with holiness or purity. Well, pastor, are you saying holiness and purity are not important? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that's not what the word righteous is really talking about. 
mean, the Bible says without holiness, no man shall see God. The Bible talks about the power of holiness, but that's not what this word is talking about. In fact, holiness is a byproduct of this word. How many know that the Bible is very plain about the fact that not one of us could live a good life on our own, right? Every one of us. You know, you, you try and you try and you try and you fail. You try and you try and you try and you fail. How many know that I'm talking about? If you don't, you're just lying. Because the reality is we've all been there. We've tried and we've tried and we tried and on our own strength, we just can't do it. And none of us looks in the mirror and goes, I'm good in our own strength. Not one of us is morally pure. Not one of us is able to stand before God and say, God, you should let me in because after all, I am a good guy, right? No, we fall flat in our face every day. Hello? From having a lustful thought here to having a murderous thought there when the person cuts you off in traffic, you know, on and on. Yeah? Okay. Uh, You know, on and on it goes, right? We have one uh, bad thought, one bad action after another. None of us is able to be good in our own strength. That's where the power of righteousness comes in. Because Jesus makes us good so that we're able to be good. We're able to live good. We're able to do good things, right? I'm able to love. Why? Because Jesus first loved me, right? I'm able to live holy. Why? Because he has made me holy. Because of his righteousness, I'm able to do good things. You know, in my own strength, there was no desire for me to do good things at all. Before I met Christ, you know what I was? I was a dope-smoking sex fiend. Just being honest, being real here today, looking forward to my next tie, looking forward to my next girlfriend. That was pretty much all I ever thought about. All I ever thought about. Doing good for my neighbor? Well, you know, if, they, if they'll do something for me, maybe I'll do something for them, right? But otherwise, nah, never even occurred to me. Now, as a result of the gospel, God changes my life. I stand before him transformed, and now goodness starts to actually come out of me. I find myself traveling around the world, helping, ministering the gospel, preaching, building schools, orphanages, medical centers, anything I can do. I want to do good. Why? Because Jesus has done something in me. And the goodness I want to do is not, it wasn't created from my own architecture. It was created by the architect himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, in me. It's a byproduct. It's a fruit of righteousness that's in me because of Jesus Christ. Amen? So when the Bible speaks about righteousness, it's speaking about you and I behaving according to our election and our calling in Christ. It's about us living according to how Christ has redeemed us. It's about what he did in our life and my ability to to do and operate according to how I've been called and how I have been designed. That's what the word actually means. Now, why is this significant? Let's look at a few verses where this literally changes everything. Because if you think righteousness is about being holy and being pure, some of these verses make absolutely no sense whatsoever. So listen, Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. Let's look at this story. Um, Where does it start here? Yeah, it says, Then Jesus came to be baptized by John. John argued that it was he who needed to be baptized by Jesus. Why then did Jesus come to baptize by John? 
for Jesus, short answer was this, and it's somewhat confusing. He says in verse 15, he said, for thus it is fitting to, for us to fill all righteousness. Now, that's a very confusing statement. That's a very confusing statement. Jesus comes to John, and he says, you need to baptize me. John says, no, no, you should be baptizing me. Jesus said, no, no, we need to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Now, if we mean by righteousness, moral purity, this verse makes no sense at all, since Jesus was already sinless perfection. Jesus could not be made any more holy by being baptized by John. Does anybody understand what I'm saying? So if that's what we mean by righteousness, verse makes no sense at all. Why would Jesus say we need to do this to fulfill all righteousness? He's not being, made, he's not being changed or altered or perfected in any way by John's baptism. Well, then why did he do it? Well, because John's baptism was a, was, was a call to repentance to other people to repent because the Messiah was coming. Now, the Messiah is right in front of John. John is able to baptize Jesus and basically say, the, the, the whole thing has begun. He's here. And so Jesus, by, by recognizing John's authority, John operating according to what his calling was, all of them end up fulfilling righteousness. They all end up walking according to God's plan and purpose for their life. It makes sense now. If it was about being made holy or pure, it makes no sense because Jesus couldn't be made holy or pure by any work that John would do. But by both of them walking in obedience to the will of the Father, all of a sudden, righteousness is being uh, performed that day. Hallelujah. One cannot be righteous without submitting to God's authority and walking in accordance with the authority that God has placed on them. See, how do we live a righteous life? We live a righteous life by walking according to what God called us to, and designed us to be and to do. That's what righteousness is all about. It's about being the person God called us to be and doing it in his redemptive work. You can be righteous. You can be more righteous. If God called you to, to own a business and you own that business and you practice God's principles in that business, you're being more righteous than if you walked away from that business and became a pastor if that's not what God called you to. Do you see what I'm saying today? If God called you to run that business, run that business. That's righteousness for you. That's walking in who he redeemed you to be. It's fulfilling God's calling and election on your life. If he called you to the military, then you go serve in the military. That's where God has you, and then you be a shining light in that place. That's how you walk in righteousness, because he called you and designed you for that. How many believe that we've been called? How many believe that we've been gifted and designed with specific abilities? How many believe not everybody's supposed to be a pastor? Amen? Well, if our idea of righteousness is this holy idea that we have of pastors, we're all, we're all in trouble because A, pastors aren't that holy, and B, you, are, you all aren't called, all right? You see what I'm saying? I said to my wife, I said, I think I'm going to start a blog, and it's going to be called Pastors or People Too. What do you think of that? Is that not bad? Because, you know, I get, sometimes I run into these people who think just because I'm a pastor that I never have a bad day, right? That just because I'm a pastor, I never think about actually getting out of my car and smacking the guy uh, who just cut me off in traffic. You know what I mean? Like, I have some traffic angst. I can confess to it. It's true. I, I, I just don't understand what they're doing on the road if they can't drive. 
And nothing drives me nuttier than people driving and not paying attention to what they're doing, right? I'm actually on the side of the anti-distracted driving people because I see these people reading a newspaper, checking their text message, and eating a sandwich while they're driving, you know, two tons of vehicle down the highway. It's like, smarten up, put that stuff away, drive. And then you won't irritate me so much when you cut me off. (laughs) Anyway, pastors are people too. I kind of got off on a tangent there. See, these are the little things that you get for free when you come here to Desert Stream. (laughs) So the foundation of righteousness is walking and living according to God's plan and purpose for your life. That's what righteousness is. In fact, if one walks in righteousness, obedience and submission to God's authority, his calling and his election, that's the first meaning of righteousness. Then the second meaning of righteousness, if you will, purity and holy, will be a byproduct of that. You will be able to live a life without the distraction and the frustration and, and falling continually into sin when you're walking where God called you to be. If you're trying to be one thing when you're called to be another, how many know that's a recipe for disaster, Right? And when you're frustrated, how many know when you're frustrated, you're more open to the attack of the enemy? And how many know when the enemy attacks, you end up in a place where you don't want to be, and many times you fall? Many times people are living there because they're not where they're supposed to be. Righteousness is about being where you're supposed to be. Righteousness is about being whole before God because of Jesus' work and then living according to how he called you and designed you. Let me give you another verse that makes more sense if you understand righteousness this way. Jesus in Matthew 6, 33 said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you as well. Now again, if if by purity and holy, that's what we mean by righteousness, and this verse says, Seek first the kingdom of God and to be pure and holy. But the problem with that is that you aren't able to be pure and holy. The problem with that is, is is that you aren't able to do it on your own. Only Jesus can do it for you. And it puts the emphasis back on a works gospel when we know it's not a works gospel. It's a grace gospel. So what that that passage is actually saying is to seek first his kingdom and then righteousness, to be in good standing with his kingdom. In other words, to be called as a good citizen of his kingdom, somebody who's fulfilling their role in his kingdom, somebody who's walking in the dynamics of his kingdom, somebody who's being who they were called to be in his kingdom. And guess what you were called to be? A son or a daughter of the king. Amen? Joint heirs with Jesus Christ. So if you understand the meaning of righteousness, then it helps you to live out your life. It's about staying, if you want to use one of the common usages of the term, it's about staying in your lane. Righteousness is about staying in the lane that God put you in. Stay in your lane. Be the person God called you to be. And God will give you the grace to live uh, the type of life that other people will be envious of because you're whole, because you're walking according to the purposes and election of God. Now, understand, as I said, I'm not saying that this doesn't mean that God isn't interested in purity and, and goodness and holiness. He is. He is. But he understands that you can only do those things when you stand in his righteousness. You can't do it in your own strength. Not one of you is able to do it in your own strength. God desires us to be righteous, to be properly aligned with him by grace so that we can live a holy life. It comes out of our righteous standing with him. So that brings me to this 
point in the title of my message this morning, that it's better to be righteous than it is to be right. It's better to be in good standing with God, fulfilling and walking according to his design and his plan than it is to be right. And this is really important because everybody in our culture today is fixated on being right and who's right. And social media is being destroyed by rightness. It's called political correctness. Drives me crazy. It used to be If you were a Republican or a Democrat or a liberal or a conservative, you could sit down and have an actual conversation with somebody. Nowadays, the polarization because of social media has made it so if somebody has an opinion that doesn't line up with somebody else, then they're nothing but an idiot. And all the name-calling just starts being thrown back and forth and back and forth. Nobody reports the news anymore. What they do is they give opinions. And their opinions are divided into two camps. And the United States of America and in Canada is more bifurcated, in other words, cut into two parts than it has ever been in history. It's terrible. It's terrible. And social media is driving it. Now, there's a a video to watch on social media, a documentary, and it's called The Social Dilemma. How many have watched that? If you haven't watched it, it's on Netflix. Absolutely phenomenal. And what it does is it shows you if you've never been on your computer before, which is probably nobody here, and, uh, but you sat down on the first time ever on a computer and, or on your new smartphone and you typed in, and I'll use him as an example, Donald Trump. You would get a bunch of articles about Donald Trump, some from CNN, some from Fox, some would be pro-Trump, some would be anti-Trump, some would be talking about his connections to this, some would be saying that he was the best president ever, blah, 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 back and forth. Then if you said, well, I think he was actually a decent guy, and you clicked on the articles that seemed to re- you know, suggest that he was a decent guy, then you went back the next day and you typed in Trump again. Guess what happens? A little algorithm sorts out all the news, and the stuff that you get is predominantly stuff that says Trump is a good guy. If you'd read the articles that said Trump is a dork, then the next day, most of your stuff's going to come from CNN and CS or MSNBC and all that kind of stuff, and it's going to reinforce the idea that he's a dork. And what happens is that the, the algorithms are running to see what it is that you want to read, and they're feeding it to you because based on who's sponsoring and paying for that, you're the commodity that's being sold, and they want your money. They want your attention. And so what you end up getting, that's why two people can be reading articles about Trump, their neighbors, and one thinks he's great because everything they read says he's great. Another says he's an idiot because everything they read says he's an idiot because the algorithms are telling them that. That's what's happening to you. And that's what's happening to our culture. And we're becoming more and more divided because one side's reading one narrative, another side's reading another narrative, and there's nobody talking across the aisle. Nobody. And the truth is always probably somewhere in the middle, but you can't find the middle anymore. Because what's happening is you're, you're being sold and sorted as a commodity for advertisers, and the story is being marketed to you based on what it thinks your preferences are. And this gets, the further down the rabbit hole you go, the more and more it gets narrowed and narrowed and narrowed to what you want. Does anybody understand what I'm talking about? That's what's happening to us. And what the byproduct of that is, is that we end up being a divided culture. We end up being a, a culture that the only thing that matters is, do you have the right opinion about this? 
And we end up hating people who have a different opinion, and we end up associating only with those who have the same opinion until we've got pockets of isolated groups of people as their opinions have narrowed and narrowed and narrowed and narrowed and narrowed further down. And this is what's happening in our culture today. It's true. You don't believe me? Watch the documentary. It'll, it'll shock you. But it's what's happening today in our world. Our society is fixed on being right or being correct. And that has created this thing called correct speech and what's called the cancel culture. So now if you don't agree with everything that the, the media is purporting, then you get canceled. Everybody knows what that means now, right? It means you're removed from social media platforms, that anytime your name comes up, people speak of it in derogatory ways. And all you did was express an opinion that someone hated. You made a mistake. doesn't matter. There's no grace you're canceled, 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 canceled. Someone will probably listen to my sermon today and I'll get canceled. I'm willing to risk that because in the eyes of those who would cancel me, frankly, I don't care. It's a liberating truth. People go, Pastor, are you on social media? Not really. I have a Facebook page. I haven't been on it in over a year. Uh, there could be all kinds of hate stuff on there right now. I have no idea because I don't go look. You know, all these people who get worked up and they say, oh, they're being cyberbullied. Pretty hard to cyberbully me because I never look at it. I don't care. You could be saying anything you want about me. Don't matter. It's a liberating thing, people. Liberating. You should try it. It's like turning off the news. I'm not depressed because I don't watch the stuff. I watched uh, 30 minutes of news <laughs> in the last 12 months. See, wouldn't you rather watch that than the news any day? Uh, 30 minutes, and it was, it was uh, Doug Ford making the announcement about the lockdowns back at Christmas time. Remember that? In 30 minutes, it was so repetitive, I just shut it off. I watched 30 minutes, and that's the most I've watched in the last five years, 30 minutes. You mean you don't, literally don't watch the news? You're correct. I don't watch it at all. I read it in my phone in about five minutes in the morning. Go through some headlines. Oh, that, that happened? Oh, there was a shooting here. This happened there. I know what's going on in the world. I don't live in a vacuum, but I don't dwell. What's the Bible say whatsoever? is good, whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is holy, whatsoever is praiseworthy. Think about these things, and the God of peace will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. I don't walk around all traumatized all the time because I guard my mind by only focusing on what's good, pure, and holy. Amen? Are you hearing me? So I say this a lot. I'm going to say it again because some of you still aren't listening. Turn the news off. Turn it off. Watch the Leafs. Much better investment of your time. <laughs> Even though they haven't won the Cup since 1967, it's still a better investment of your time. All right. So here's the thing. So now that we understand culture is only focused on rightness and not righteousness, then let's, let's ask, how do we deal with this politically uh, correct world? How do we how do we deal with a world that's so focused on political correctness? Because by conventional standards, Jesus was not interested in political correctness at all. Jesus did things which were, in his day, completely politically incorrect, right? I mean, he was accused of being a, a, a wine-bibber. He was accused, accused of hanging out with tax collectors and prostitutes. I mean, he associated with very lowly people, someone that, people that a rabbi was not supposed to associate with, right? 
Jesus did this. And it's because Jesus understood it was more important to be righteous than to be right. He didn't care what, whether people thought it was right or not. He knew that he was called to be the redeemer of the, of the lowest of the low, of anybody. It didn't matter who it was. So he was, not, he was not ashamed to be associated with those people because he came for them. He said, I, came to, I, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. I came to redeem that which was lost. Amen? For God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Our passion should be to live as a reflection of who God made us to be. Every one of us has, and I like to talk about this, we have an, an integrity gap, right? What does that mean? And everybody has one. An integrity gap is a gap that exists between the person God says I am and the person that I'm living like right now. You all have one. God says that in him, you're the righteousness of God. The, the moment Christ, I confess Christ as my Savior, I'm redeemed. I'm fully purchased by him. My spirit cannot be any more redeemed than it was the day I gave my life to him. I'm as redeemed today as I was uh, in, in when I was 17 and I knelt down at an altar and gave my life to Christ. There's no difference. However, my soul is, is working on it right? And my soul, man, my mind, my emotions, my will, they're being redeemed every day. And then one day my body will experience the fullness of redemption, resurrection power. Do you see those three stages? So here's the thing. The integrity gap is the gap between your soul and your spirit. It's between the, the person Christ has said you are and you're redeemed to be, and this is who you are in him, and who you look at and you look in the mirror and you go, man, I blew it last night. There's a gap there. The journey of of maturity in Jesus Christ is a simple one, closing the gap. That's all it is. My life pursuit is to close the gap. My life pursuit is to try and reflect in my daily life the person that Jesus says I already am. Right? I like to put it this way. You know, God spelled backwards as dog. Wouldn't it be nice if we could all be the person that our dog thinks we are? Right? You ever, you ever, how many have a dog? Your dog thinks you're perfect right? You can do no wrong in your dog's eyes. You know, I mean, the dog is the only creature on earth that you could spank the dog and discipline the dog and it'll come back three minutes later, you know, loving on you, right? Incredible. Oh, that we could be the masters that our dogs think we are. Well, oh, that we could be the person that God says we are. Amen? God says, this is who you are. So we need to close that gap. So how do we do that? What does Focusing on righteousness rather than rightness and, how to, and closing that gap. How do I do that? What does that look like in my life? All right, here we go. Well, if we'll focus on righteousness rather than rightness, we'll be able to close the gap because first thing it'll do is it'll, it'll keep us from pride. It'll keep you from pride. Everybody say pride. If you focus on his righteousness rather than your rightness, it'll keep you from pride. Because what happens is when you look at your goodness, you look at your rightness, you look at all the things that you do. You know, I gave X number of dollars to missions. I went to this country. I, I helped my neighbor here. I did that. When you make that the focus of your attention and you look at that, arrogance and pride starts to rise up in your spirit. But if you see instead, my, my righteousness is because of what Jesus did, then it keeps you from pride. It protects your heart from pride. 
The main problem in our culture today with being right and all these people who think they're right is there's an arrogance that comes off of them that is literally you can taste it and it tastes disgusting. When I read the comments that people make on Twitter feeds about this person or that person who they're canceling, it's the most vile taste in my mouth because it's spoken from a disposition of where they think they're so right and there's an arrogance attached to it that, that the Bible says that pride comes before a fall and arrogance, a haughty spirit. That the, the Bible does not like pride because pride says, I can do it my way. Jesus said, no, you can't. You can only do it my way, right? And so if we'll focus on his righteousness and living righteous in his righteousness, it protects us from pride. Now, here's the other beautiful thing. On one side, it protects us from pride. The second thing it'll do is it'll protect you from shame. Because once you realize that you are, are, are in good standing with him because of what Jesus did, then on your worst day, you don't get filled with shame. On your best day, you're not walking around in arrogance. On your worst day, you're not filled with shame. Do you hear me? I've had days where I blew it with my kids and I, I yelled at them or I disciplined them in anger and I felt terrible afterwards. How many have ever been there? You just think, what, how, how do I even call myself a Christian? Right? Barry goes, no, no, my kids deserved it. I felt pretty good afterwards. <laughs> you know, but when you have those days, you're like, oh, I feel so terrible. But the reality is that even in your worst day, you're still righteous because of Jesus Christ. Not by what you did. And so what walking in righteousness does and an understanding of righteousness that's rooted in calling and election and alignment with him, you know what it does is it changes everything. It frees you so you don't walk around in shame. Because when you're walking around in shame, you're most apt to repeat. Do you understand that? When, when a person who's an alcoholic, for example, uh, falls off the wagon and they, they get drunk, they get filled with shame. What happens is they're vulnerable to keep repeating and keep repeating. And that's why they rarely ever fall off the wagon for a day and then pick up and go on like nothing ever happened. They fall off the wagon for a month. And then their partner has to come along beside them and try to help them back because shame, once they fell off the wagon, buries them and tries to keep them there. Do you see that this morning? But God says, there's no shame, none. There's no condemnation. Oh, there's correction. The Bible says those he loves, he disciplines. But he doesn't condemn us, he corrects us. He doesn't weight us down with shame. Instead, we feel this thing called godly sorrow. And we pick ourselves up and we say, God, thank you for your righteousness. And we walk on. That's what God does for us. The burden of being right places responsibility for success on my shoulders and it removes God's grace, and I'm not able to carry it. And shame will always be a byproduct of every time I fail, every time I don't live up, every time I'm not successful enough, I'm not good enough. Shame will be right there knocking at my door. Third thing it does, and I almost hate to say this, so it, it keeps us away from pride. It protects us from shame. Third thing it does, and I'm, and I'm almost hesitant to say it because the word gets misconstrued all the time in our culture today, but it makes us more tolerant. I know that the world's overworked the word tolerance to where it's the highest virtue now in culture is the, the, the virtue of tolerance. And, you know, we have to be tolerant of everyone except for people who disagree with us, of course. But God truly does want to make us 
more tolerant of others. Uh, you know, when I walk in his righteousness, when I walk in who I've been called to be and I understand my righteousness comes from him, it just makes me less critical of other people. It just helps me to just stay in my lane and I don't need to go onto social media and correct every person who's crazy, which is the vast majority of them. I, I don't need to go on there and correct it. Guess what? I don't need to do that. You know why? Because I'm walking in him. I don't, I don't need to go do that. I'm, I'm far more tolerant. I can sit down and talk to somebody who completely disagrees with me politically and everything else, and I can actually sit there and have a conversation with them the whole time in the back of my mind knowing that they're completely wrong, <laughs> and I'm okay with it. I can walk away and go, you know, that was a, that's a nice guy or that's a nice girl, even though they're completely crazy. It's, they're nice. You know what I mean? And I can be kind with them, and I can be nice to them, even though they're a communist. I mean, I can be nice to them. You know what I'm saying? Uh, why, how am I able to do that? Because I'm so much more tolerant of others because of what Christ has done with, for me. Because Christ is tolerant of me. How many know that he's tolerant? Very tolerant. Because we've all failed many, 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 many times. And so we're able to be gracious with other people. We're able to, to you know, just let it go. I, I used to have to convince everybody that I was right. I loved to argue. I still love to argue with my friends. The people that I know I can't offend, like Barry and I, we'll get right into it. Why? Because I know I can't offend him. It's, it's impossible for him to be offended with me. And if he was, if he even felt a smidgen of it, he'd come and say to me, that really hurt. And I'd say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it to hurt. You were just wrong. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? And, and the, but, but because he's my friend, I can have that kind of conversation with him. But I'm not going to debate like that with somebody I don't know. I used to do that because it was so important to me to win. Where did that importance to win come from? I had to, to lay that at the altar and say, it's not important to be right. It's more important to be righteous. And the title of this message came from the conviction of Holy Spirit who said to me, Kevin, it's more important to be righteous than it is to be right. Oh, man, what a revelation it was for me in my life. You see, we can love the lost a lot better when we let God do the convicting instead of us. We can love others because... We know how much God has loved us, amen, so we can love others. And the final thing it does is it, it protects us from pride uh, and protects us from shame, makes us more tolerant, and finally, it makes us more forgiving. When we walk in his righteousness instead of rightness, it makes you more forgiving. It has the effect of constantly reminding you of how much you've been forgiven so you can forgive others. You know, there's lots of people that blow it. How many have ever blown it? And I used to have a very low tolerance for people, especially people that should know better. I had an extremely low tolerance for them. I'm just being honest with you. You know, I'd hear about these ministers, you know, the swaggerts, the bakers, and I'd be like, dude, seriously? But now, I don't sit in judgment over them. I just pray for God's mercy on them and his grace to be extended to them. It's not because, you know, I'm planning on having my own, you know, failure day and I'm hoping people will be the same way with me. No, it's goes deeper than that. It's because Christ has already been that way with me. Why should I not be that way with others? So how much should I forgive another? Well, Jesus said, try 70 times seven, not seven times. 490 times. Okay, that's good. I can do that. I'll forgive people 490 times. 
Uh, that's not exactly what Jesus was trying to say. He was trying to get them to understand that it's limitless. We don't put limits on our forgiveness. Now, you may have to put some limits on your trust. So you've forgiven the person, but you maybe not have to trust them until they've demonstrated they can earn that trust. That's cool. That's actually wise. It's called a boundary in your life. It's a good thing. You know, trust and forgiveness are two different things, right? There's lots of people I've forgiven. I've forgiven debts that they owe me and everything else, but I'm not going to go out and lend them money again because they haven't earned the trust. You see the difference? Money is a good way to help understand it. So I've forgiven the debt, but I'm not going to lend them more money because even though I've forgiven the debt, they haven't earned the trust for me to do that again. So you may run into that as well. But forgiveness is not optional. And when we forgive people, we walk in righteousness. We walk in righteousness. We can conquer the enemy if we work together by not falling into pride, shame, right? We stay away from those beasts, those terrible things, if we're more tolerant of other people, and if we release forgiveness. For, right, for the righteous person, relationship trumps being right. And love covers a multitude of sins. Theirs and mine. Say that. Theirs and mine. Focusing on being right will always cause pride and arrogance and intolerance and a lack of unforgiveness. But if we'll walk in his righteousness and if we'll walk according to his calling and election in our life, it'll set us free to be forgiving, to be tolerant, to be freed from shame and pride. So as we conclude this morning, let's remember, it's always better to be righteous than right. It's more important to be righteous than it is to be right. And I'm righteous because he's made me righteous. Right? In fact, the Bible says, not by works that I have done, but by his blood, I'm made righteous. Amen? Does that sound good? Amen. Let's stand together this morning. I know that's a nice light message this morning. <laughs> uh, I, I know, I, I just want to speak to maybe to some of your frustration. I know that we've been up and down and up and down and 30% and 15% and no percent and everything else. And next week we're back to, unfortunately, not able to have you here with us. We'll be just broadcasting again next week. And that is uh, in effect until May 20th, so Sunday the 23rd. If it stays as it is now, which is, I believe, the long weekend, we would be back here. Uh, don't be surprised if they extend it past the 20th, all right? So I know this has been hard. I know it's hard on the body. I know some of you said, I, I'm so frustrated with this, I could just scream. I'm there with you. I'm frustrated as well. Um, we have our beloved missionary, Benita, in the hospital right now. Uh, I'm not allowed to go visit her. As a pastor, I can't visit people in the hospital. I haven't been in the hospital to visit people in a year. Uh, I find that extremely frustrating. And when I said earlier I was going to start a blog called Pastors or People Too, uh, because we get frustrated with these things as well. But every day, I try to look in the mirror and say, Jesus, help me to be the person you've called me to be. You say I'm good, help me to be good. Right? And I try to let his love and his kindness work through me. I'm not perfect. Some of you maybe are walking around feeling disappointed in 
your pastor or pastors, whether it's from this church, from other church, because they haven't done everything that you need them to do or wanted them to do or expected that they would do in the midst of this whole thing, uh, all I can say is I'm sorry, but pastors are people too. And we're working through it. We're doing our best, and we're going to continue to do our best. And we'll be here next week broadcasting uh, and doing everything we can to stay on top of it. And if you have any need, you can call. We will have one person in the office every day, uh, just as we've done in the other lockdowns. Uh, we'll have somebody in there every day. So if you need anything, you can call the office. Uh, if you need anything from any one of us specifically, you know our cell phone number, uh, we'll get it to you. If you call the office and you don't know one of their cell phone numbers, we'll give it to you because we're here to serve you. We want to do anything we can to be a blessing in the midst of this season that we're in. But everybody say this with me. This too, this too. shall pass. Amen? Uh, it will. And we'll sit at some point and go, isn't it great to see the church full of people? And it will be full. Amen? So, Father, I just thank you today for your goodness. I thank you, Lord, for your grace in this time that we're in. I thank you, Lord, that, Father, in this time, in this season, we can stand, Father, strong, healthy in your righteousness because you have made us and called us according to our design by you. And Lord, as we walk in that and we live in that and we have our being in that, Lord, I pray that, Father, you would work through us to affect our community outside of the four walls of this church. Lord, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces and environments, in our, Father, schools, wherever it is that you place us, God, may we let your light shine. Father, we thank you that you have made us righteous through Jesus Christ, and so we are the righteousness of God. Thank you, Lord, that I can't be made any better on my best day by my behavior, and I can't be made any worse on my worst day by my behavior. Father, you see me as purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we go out of this place today, may we stand strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And Father, may we let the love and the kindness of God work through us wherever we are in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Have an amazing week, and we'll see you online next Sunday. Tune in. We will be there. Uh, waiting for you. God bless you. Hey, everybody. Pastor Kevin Dowling here from Desert Stream. Just giving a shout out to you and saying thanks for joining us this week. We trust that you received something out of what was shared today, and we hope that it spoke to you and that it encouraged you in this season that we find ourselves in. You know, you could do us a big favor if you would just uh, share, uh, like, uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Let people know that there's a place that you found that you're getting an encouragement and hope each and every week. We hope you plan to check in with us next week, be a part of our expression again, and help spread the word that God is in control in the midst of this season. 